There's something curious about this broadcast. This is TGP Nominal. Commence episode now. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal. Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Today is our end of year holiday special and it is special in many ways because we will be taking you to a a very special event which I quite literally can't do on my own because (laughs) I need someone who was my eyes and ears for for the event who was actually there. Um, and that's obviously John Berger. How you doing? You needed a bloody Yankee to handle it, did you? <laughs> well, you were nearer than I was. <laughs> you know, cause when we were talking with Dan White, and he said, oh, I'm going to be in Syracuse, I just shot from the hip with, uh, oh, hey, that's only a few hours north of me, and that kind of committed myself to it. <laughs> Which is a good thing, really, because it is such an important event, albeit quite small at the moment. It's an event that there isn't anything like it we have in the past put stuff out there about field of force day but this event which is called cripcon or otherwise known as cripping the comic-con is completely unique and so are the people who actually run this event you've met diane uh, as Mm -hmm. uh, diane wiener this is um she is a remarkable lady i've had chats with her over skype and Yes, she is a remarkable lady, Mm -hmm. and the work she does has to be done because she helps people get the word out there about disability, and I hate using that word disability because it isn't. It isn't disability because the people involved with these events are the most creative people that I know, and I am very proud to be involved with all these events. Um, what we're going to do first is we're going to play you a couple of seasonal messages from well wishers and people that have been involved in the show over the year, and then we'll be right back. Hi, Mark. Hi, John. This is Laura LaRue wishing you, your crew, and your TGP nominal listeners happy holidays. Have a super califragilistic, extra fab, ferocious new year, too. I love you guys, and I look forward to all the new episodes you have coming for 2018. Mwah. TGP listeners, this is Casper Van Dien. Welcome to the Roughnecks, and Merry Christmas. Hello, science lovers. It's Steph Evs of The Stimulus. I hope your 2017 was as wonderful as mine was. I had the privilege of putting six more satellites I worked on in space, and it was amazing. I hope you and your loved ones have a wonderful holiday and a happy new year. See you in 2018. This is TGP Nominal. So welcome back to TGP Nominal. Now, John, you've never been to Syracuse before, have you? In this fashion, no. I mean, I had relatives there a while ago, so it wasn't my first time in Syracuse, but in this case, yeah, I've never been to anything like this. Being on campus and looking around and all that kind of thing was quite an eye-opener, wasn't it, really? And it's an absolutely gorgeous campus. Unfortunately, it was a little overcast that day, 
which apparently is par for the course from what I understand from someone who graduated from there. It's a gorgeous mix of older Gothic buildings and newer architecture, and it's just, it's really, really nice campus. So you uh, were taken on a tour when you got there, and there was something which was awesome for an audio podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of those things that you you have to reassure people that this was not special effects. We did not do anything to change the audio. This is the way it sounds. It's the Carrier Dome, which is their football field, basketball field, and all of that. But they have these little chambers in the sides of the Carrier Dome that, well, we'll just let the audio speak for itself. <laughs> it's called a dome stomp, so you can either jump up and stomp or just like stomp one foot, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, and then listen for that. Oh, wow. And if you're deaf, you feel the echo. And if you couldn't stop, you do it some other way. top 10 attendance records for a college basketball game. It's like around 35,000. So you have your new student convocation and uh, commencement ceremony. So you have kind of the bookends of the SU experience all happen in the dome. And then there's all sorts of different events that happen here as well. Billy Joel came a few years ago and sold out um, different concerts throughout the year. We have a really cool event called the MLK Dinner, which honors Martin Luther King and, again, acts for, uh, pledges to act forward in his memory. It sounded like you could be there all day just stomping around and clapping your hands and shouting and stuff. Well, much to the annoyance of others, I'm sure, but yes. <laughs> you got to see some of the facilities there. As you said, uh, the football fields and things like that sounded absolutely enormous. I mean, we're not used yeah. to that kind of thing over here. I mean, it's, it's quite normal for uh, American universities to have these big mm-hmm. uh, arenas of, of sport. And just Dan's reaction to that was priceless. <laughs> 50,000! <000. laughs> I mean, you're lucky if you get a university sporting event in this country where if you get sort of like four to 8,000, if you're lucky. <laughs> but it's big bucks in the States, isn't it? Uh, college, oh, college football is big yes. bucks. Yes, yes. A great deal of money go to sports. <laughs> that wasn't the only place we went to, obviously. They showed us a bunch of different things. Went into their... Like their, their theater house where all their performances and so forth are, are done. Uh, that was gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. You know, everything wood, dark stained wood railings and, and heavy oak doorways. And that was really amazing to see. And it's, it's just a gorgeous campus. Their own little observatory. Unfortunately, we couldn't see that. That would have been nice, but it was shut down. Yeah, that would have been awesome for the podcast, really, wouldn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, and and murals all over the place, mosaics. Uh, it's a, it's a gorgeous campus. It's definitely worth visiting just to look around. So we move on to the Disability Cultural Centre, uh, where the the event was actually taking place, wasn't it? Yep. And first of all, we meet up with the person that we were talking about earlier, uh, Diane Weiner, who is the director of the Disability Cultural Centre, and uh, this is basically what she had to say. My name's Diane Weiner, and it's W-I-E-N-E-R, like Oscar Mayer Weiner. Uh, burger, except B-E-R. That's right. You and I should go items. into business. Yeah. Burgers okay. and Wieners. There, there you go, Burgers and Wieners. <laughs> And I am the director of the Disability Cultural Center at Syracuse University, and there is no one else in the world that I'm aware of who's a full-time director of a Disability Cultural Center. Well, I can't imagine there are many universities that have this either, because it's the first I've heard of anything like this on any university campus. The Disabled Students Cultural Center started a number of years ago at the University of Minnesota, and they were uh, very much a an inspiration, but I don't mean that in a yucky way, mm-hmm. for our coming to be here. We decided to do it in part because... The student activism around this campus is phenomenal, Mm -hmm. and students with and without disabilities wanted to have a place where disability wasn't about accommodations only. Right. It was about cultural identity and experiences of diversity and marginalization and working in solidarity with the Office of Multicultural Affairs and the LGBT Resource Center mm-hmm. and working with people from international spaces all over, of course, like the International Center, right. Slutsker, and students started advocating to have a cultural center around disability. And over a number of years, this proposal came to be. We decided, well, we'll, we'll do this here. And I wasn't even here, so I'm saying we, but I wasn't Mm -hmm. hired yet because the people who talked about it decided to hire a full-time director. And we interviewed a bunch of people nationally and very lucky and blessed and happy to say that I was the person they chose. It's not just disability because you also handle LGBT. So the Disabled Students Cultural Center was located in a space where it was really about still largely about accommodations Mm -hmm. and so although there were disability cultural politics that were there people still often associated with the accommodations office or the services office and then um, people wanted very much to have the one here be in a student affairs space and so when we had a division of student affairs that's where it was originally housed okay so it was the first one like that but we're the only one with a full-time director okay and that that would of course be you so i am that person i stand accused but one of the things that's very important about this and is effectively depicted in the Axis Avengers is that we did not want to make it seem, as often unfortunately happens, that disability is a sea of whiteness. Mm-hmm. Right. Or the disability is a sea of uh, certain identities related to masculinity. Right. And that happens with superheroes, too. So, you know, there's like a sea of whiteness, as I call it, or right. other people, not just, not just me, of course, not just I, and a sea of masculinity, et cetera. And so when we designed the Axis Avengers... Jill Stromberg, who's of course here today doing a workshop in a little bit, mm-hmm. and also one of our keynotes and panelists this morning, right. we decided that we really wanted to make sure we're going to design this group of superheroes with disabilities, disabled superheroes, so that they're showing intersections between a commitment to fighting homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, other oppressions related to mm-hmm. gender and sexual orientation. We wanted very much to do something that was very critical of racism and very critical of uh, meanness and xenophobia around international communities. And of course, the United States is part of an international community. And so one of my friends, you know, used to say, there's international students and domestic students, but we're really all international. So I'm, I'm interested to highlight that 
when we decided to create the Axis Avengers, it was very much in a, a way that was consistent with the values that the DCC was already set up to uphold. This is the fifth Comic-Con. Right. The first one was in 2013. Right. And so, so uh, 2013 was one day, and we were contacted by Jose Alanis, who was the first person to ever write a full-length monograph about superheroes mm. and disability ever. And he heard about us doing this and wrote to us and said, hey, I'm doing this book. How about that? Can I come be your keynote? And of course, oh, nice. we said yes. So he recruited himself and solicited us, yeah. solicited us and we delightedly accepted with sure. great enthusiasm. And there's a recording of this if you want to see it. or so Of course, it's captioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gave a keynote address here. And it was at the Goldstein Student Center. And it was one day. And it was we didn't have all the vending and the info booths. And it was there were some workshops. There were some panels. There were it was more like it was more like an academic symposium around disability in comics. So we decided at the very beginning we wanted to have a sense of irony. And so we named it Fantastic, Heroic, Disabled? Question mark. Right. Cripping the Comic Con. Second year we called it Tickwee the Suit and What Are You? <laughs> and it's a reference to Captain America and the Avengers movie. Right. One of the principles around that was we wanted very much to highlight, you know, who has meaning and value in the world. Mm-hmm. And so we did a very strong showcasing on zombies. Okay. And, you know, who's alive, who's dead, whose life matters, whose life is worth living, and critiquing some of the violence against people with disabilities right. using popular culture as a, a route for critique and discussion. And so in year three, we decided, Rachel and I, well, gaming is really important. And we have gaming room here today. We've mm-hmm. always tried to have gaming rooms. Right. A gaming room is part of a whole thing around gaming. Mm-hmm. And the metaphor that came to us was game over, right. as if, like, the gig's up, you know. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, no, it's not. Once again, we have lives worth living. We right. matter. We're here. We get used to it. The queer rights movement, you know, we're here. We're queer. get used to it. Mm-hmm. So year three, um, we decided to do game over. We were thinking about the movie Aliens from mm-hmm. 1986. And Bill Paxson, may he rest in peace, played this character, Hudson. Mm-hmm. And what yep. Hudson says in the movie is, game over, man, game over. And we're like, we're going to use this as the title. There you it's go. A popular cultural reference. Mm-hmm. People will find it intriguing and may even know. Yep. And we certainly made it clear in our materials when we sent that stuff out. So we had this, all these things about gaming and virtuality and visuality. And we had someone here named Angela Smith who talked about the ways movies digitize bodies mm-hmm. yes. uh, and make people disabled. And But why don't they hire people with disabilities to play these parts in the first right. place? So we had this great, you know, it's a little more low-key than some of the other cons we had had. But it was a small but mighty crowd is what I would like to say. And then in year four, we decided that we really wanted to highlight uh, deaf cultural pride. So I contacted a few people who were all deaf comics artists, mm-hmm. and we flew them in from various places. Oh, that's cool. And we had a, t- a theme, definitely ironic, <laughs> and there's even a sign for that. And so, definitely ironic. Nice. So it's D-E-A-F hyphen itly ironic, question mark. Equipping the Comic Con. Mm -hmm. And we had a ton of people here. Nice. People came from all over the place because we had Matt and Kay Daigle who do That Deaf Guy, which is a nationally recognized webcomic. Oh, okay. And we had Carlisle Robinson here, who's also a nationally recognized deaf comics artist, and a number of other people. We had workshops and all kinds of activities. Again, that one was, again, kind of a mixture, a convention, and a conference. Mm -hmm. So had both elements. But this year, I thought, it's our anniversary. Rachel and I were chatting. I want to make this one definitely have academic components, of course, but I want this to be more Comic-Con-y than any of the other ones we've ever done. Like, let's really amp up the art. Let's really amp up the vendors. Let's really amp up, you know, the place to get autographs. Let's really amp mm-hmm. up just 
the swag and the kind of cultural aspects of it in addition to the academic components, not that they're necessarily separate. Right. And so we're like, well, let's try to do that. There's nothing wrong with a whole bunch of different words, and one of them is cripple. Uh-huh. And somehow cripple seems to have become a bit of a pejorative. Right. So what made you decide to say, we're going to take that word back for this? So we were not the first people to decide to do that, but we were among the first people, I think, to be very public about it in the context of comics and popular mm-hmm. culture. And so we decided that we wanted to reclaim that word, and we have very discreet, and I would say pretty, in some sense, pretty academic language about mm-hmm. the words crip and cripping as compared to the words cripple and crippling. Okay. And words that are associated with, like, I have the right to my experience of my, oden- my identity, and there's a very famous poster which is connected to the Center of Human Policy and Syracuse Cultural Workers and a number of spaces very close to home here. Your attitude is my only handicap. Yeah, I've seen you know? that. And so the idea that I'm not dismayed by my experience, I'm dismayed by an ableist world where there's no place for me to feel included, mm-hmm. or very few places to meet for me to feel included, right. or there are some places, but I might not consistently have an experience right. of feeling included. And that's included. going to be the case regardless of what word you use. Yep, yep. And so it's not just about the words, it's about thinking about imagining a world differently. Mm-hmm. So I think so much of this, I spend a lot of time talking about this with someone very close to me, Steve Cousisto, who's a, a, an a author and a an orator and someone of enormous talent, and he he's, uh, often talks about the importance of imagination, mm-hmm. and I think imagining language differently is part of imagining the world differently. So I think it isn't only about terminology, it's about thinking differently, because if you phrase things differently, it affects your experience of space. If you make the space different, it affects how you use the language about the space. Well, you're busy going around, buzzing around, so thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank thank you, you, John. Yeah, Diane is someone I hold in very high esteem because she puts 110% into everything she does. Oh, yeah, and and she's just great to talk to because she'll talk to you about anything and she'll do it with a smile, and and she's she's a really great person to talk to. Um, When I was talking to her, she uh, had a term for me, which is um, a Jewish term, and she called me a mensch. Mm Mm-hmm. I have heard this phrase before, um, basically through listening to Weird Al Yankovic stuff. <laughs> I've heard it mentioned. <laughs> but I didn't actually know what it meant as a definition, and she just mm-hmm. said to me that you're a decent, honest guy. And, yeah, that hit me. That hit me yeah. when she said that. Uh, well, I mean, mensch literally means a person of integrity and honor. Yeah, I got quite emotional when she said that, and she told me the the basic definition of it. Um, well, we both got quite emotional during that Skype call, to be honest, because she understood where I was coming from, and I understood where she was coming from, and uh, I knew that we were going to get along. And then she said, now about that crazy Pennsylvanian you set up. <laughs> Nah, I, uh, ev- <laughs> everyone there loved you. I got that impression. Uh, I put on a good front. Um, I, I, I know one of the reasons why you went over there in the first place, and that is Mr. Dan White. Mm-hmm. He's a good friend of mine. I don't get to see him as much as I would like, because he's always either in meetings or jet-setting off somewhere. or <laughs> But things have really changed for him over the last three years Mm -hmm. Um, I first got in touch with him in 2014 met him in 2015 and things have just escalated Um, Dan White is the curator of the Department of Ability comic book 
we've had him on the show before we've mentioned him before but for people who might not know the department of ability is a comic book that dan has created basically because his daughter emily has got spina bifida and one day she said to him dad i've been through comic books and things and i cannot find anyone who relates to me meaning you know there's not a lot of people with disabilities in these comics and dan couldn't explain why and the only thing he could think of to do to rectify this was to come up with uh, a comic book of his own that he could have emily in it as one of the characters one of the lead characters actually and this comic book department of abilities about a set of superheroes after a big war where things are in a bad way on earth and then there's only one major superhero left and uh, he's like the ultimate hero and he puts together this team of people with disabilities well not just people there's different creatures with disabilities that use their disability as their superpowers and it's attracted so much interest I mean we're at a stage where we're not too sure how but Stan Lee wants to get involved with this project nice um, you can't get any bigger accolade than that, really. No, can you? no, you can. <laughs> the comic hasn't actually been released yet. It will be. The people that are helping down with this, I mean, we're talking writers with so much credibility in the comic book world, but when it does actually get released, it's going to hit the ground running. It's really going to be a force to be reckoned with. And on the back of this... Dan has become a I don't know what you can call him an ambassador I suppose for yeah. um, disability rights and inclusion and diversity and he has been nominated for a, a, a British diversity award he actually he didn't win it but he was nominated and he did yeah, get just to be nominated is an honour yeah and to be you know rubbing shoulders with all these fantastic people at these events Dan can't see what he's doing is anything different than anybody else would be doing. What he's doing is no different than what any of it, anyone else should be doing. Yeah, you're right there. That's the difference. You're right there. And I just think he's an amazing guy. He's done a lot for us. And when I'm feeling a bit low, he always has something really positive to say. Um, and, and he and I got along so well, it's scary. Dan... <laughs> Dan could have a good time at an insurance seminar, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and so we've got a bit here where you meet him for the first time and the rest speaks for itself, really. Dan, how are you? How's it going? How are you doing? Good to finally see you. And you too. We're currently recording. Are we? Yeah, yep. Hello, this is the English person. There you go. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, the other English person sends his regards. Oh, does he? So I was chatting with him. He's, he's a bit sick that he can't be here, isn't he? So I, in my true British way, I said, tough luck. <laughs> yeah. Just being kind. Well, you know, with me being so close, he didn't need to. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, that's all right. What do we have going on here? This is the Department of Ability uh, comic workshop. Everyone in here is actually designing a... Mascot for next year's Crypcon. So we got one, oh, nice. two, three, four, five, six, eight tables, each one designing a different mascot. It can have any superpower, any disability, hidden disability, whatever. And we're going to pick one to be the face of Crypcon next year and onward. Oh, nice. We're going to brand Crypcon with a character or people recognize it and go, oh, that's Crypcon, that's Crypcon. 
right. So we've got all these fantastic artists, some first time, some not first time, right. just getting in, working as groups, thrashing out ideas, superpowers, just anything, cloaks, outfits, just letting their imagination just go with it. That's true. I mean, this is the fifth year and they still don't have any kind of official mascot, do they? So it's, it's time to get one? It is time to get one because you think, unfortunately, we live in a world full of brands now and I think oh, yeah. something like this, which is doing such a fantastic, important job, needs to have something that people can identify with and right. it's always with a character. You see it with football teams and, and things like that and it needs to have an identifiable character. Right. Go, oh, that's Cripcom. So everyone's been as outlandish as they want yeah. and I'm running around just generally getting in a typical British way of everybody. So how do they when it's all done and submitted how are they going to decide me and Diane will sit down probably on a, a, a very cheap Skype message and go through it all <laughs> decide the winner and we're hopefully going to get it all made up maybe redrawn or maybe keeping as it is but mm-hmm. actually get it made up into a figure or even possibly a full size mascot go. to promote Cripcon 2018 nice yes well, hey, and with 3D printing now why exactly. not make it up? I am right. literally made... I am a 3D print. You are a... Th- okay. I'm actually at home now, listeners, and this is just a 3D print of me that Diane made today. You can hear the rustle of the paper. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, John Berger. Well, thank you, sir, for putting up with me. Absolutely and Mark, no problem. You know, and I may okay. tell you your nickname that Emily gave you later. Oh, boy. Beefy. It's not spelled the same way. No, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with... Dun, 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 dun. There you got to find out what your nickname was from Emily. (laughs) Emily and I had fun, though. We had a lot of fun. She kept picking on me, and I kept picking on her right back. Yeah, she's a great kid, and, you know, with all this stuff that's going on around her, this positive talk and everything that's going on around her, she's going to be a fantastic ambassador herself. Yep. And she's getting that way now. I mean, what's she now, 10? I think she's 10. Yeah. You give it a few years, and she's going to be a powerful force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. And people really need to listen. Yeah, she she was definitely having fun, and there was no hint of shyness that I could see, which that's that's good for what's you know what the issue is all about here. So you're definitely right. She's going to be a force to be reckoned with in a few years, and that's good. Yeah, I mean now, I mean it, it doesn't phase her anymore when there's TV cameras around and. Um, when she appears at radio stations and all that kind of stuff, the media does not phase her one bit. No. Nope. And for someone at that age, that is pretty remarkable. Well, one of the first people that I spoke to was a 13-year-old girl uh, by the name of Abigail Kessler, and she's in a local junior high school in Syracuse, and she was diagnosed with neurofibromatosis when she was four years old, and they're different ways that that manifests itself but basically it comes down to tumor growths and bone deformities so you know having to wear braces back braces and, and things of that nature but she is an ambassador for a local nonprofit up in Syracuse called charity for children and she's been an ambassador for them for the past eight years so that helps local kids with disabilities and their families to get medical services that they need they also help to pay for the medicine medical equipment travel costs and so forth so she speaks at a lot of other events you know, to talk to other kids that might be in her kind of situation and to educate and advocate the rest of us who really aren't aware of this sort of thing. Abby was the, the U.S. representative for Crippin' the Comic Con. And the idea was that Emily was the U.K. representative. Mm-hmm. So you had the U.K. 
and the US joining together for this one amazing occasion. It was really a nice sentiment to have the two countries together for that reason. So she was one of the panelists, and I had the opportunity to talk with her and her parents for a few minutes. And what brings you here today? I'm here just because I am the child ambassador of Syracuse. For the United States. The United States. Uh, for cosplaying or? So she was on the panel because Abby is representing our community for children with disabilities who are also interested in cosplaying comics. Okay, and just for this, you are? I'm Sarah Kessler, her mother. Okay, yeah. there you go. All right. Well, so what got you interested in it? I actually think I saw a convention. No, my dad brought it up one day, and he was like, hey, let's go to an anime convention one day. And I was like, heck yeah, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> I did research, and I looked at the closest one I found was in Rochester, and that was Toracon, and that was at RIT. We saved up our money, we went there. It was the best convention I've gone to so far, and the two I gone to. There you go. That was a big one, too. Yeah. yeah. It took a lot of planning, took a big trip. It was nice. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. awesome. Because yeah, I go to PAX East just about every year, which is the big video game convention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's constantly video game cosplayers there. Mm-hmm. And I must admit, I've, I've considered it. I love the Assassin's Creed line. I, yeah. I've considered going in a, in a nice... <laughs> assassin's outfit. So I've got the bladed gauntlets and oh, wow. so forth. Oh wow! So I've, I've been considering that as well. <laughs> so. It's a very open, accepting community. Mm-hmm. I always say that. It's always accepting yeah. of everyone and everything. And it's remarkable you li- listening to the panel to see how, in a culture like cosplay, to see how people with disabilities are so apart and involved and you know, mm-hmm. they find a sense of community and belonging there. Right. One of the things that I really enjoy about going to conventions with Abby is in society she's more closed off. She doesn't interact well. Mm-hmm. She wants to interact well with other people but right. it's more of a you know kind of guarded area. Right. With conventions it's a complete 180. Everything about her is so open. Mm-hmm. She's very inviting. The one year she made uh, little handheld things that she was giving to everybody else, reacted well with everybody. It brought people closer to her. She's got friends now online that are. Right. It's just a whole different way of approaching it, and she's been fantastic with it. She really embraces right. the whole culture. Well, I've seen a lot of people do that. I used to work a lot with my old high school's drama club. Mm-hmm. And you'd see the kids who are really shy and reserved. They're kind of off on their own. But as soon as they went on that stage and yep. they, presume, yeah. they assume the role of a different character, it's just boom. And they're loud and they're, they're you know, yeah. expressive. Very awesome. And it's this, it's, this is the same thing. I think a lot of people, yeah. they think of like the furries yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And they get that stigma to it. It's like... We're, you know, people who cosplay are just acting. Right. They're just having fun. Correct. But you I know. think people with disabilities, I think it says a lot for society that mm-hmm. they're feeling like extroverts in this community, but not in their own. Right. So still, what what a ways we have to go yeah. to, to bridge that gap. Yeah, oh, it is, because I'm sure a lot of people think cosplayers are those people who just get up right. in costumes, those right. weirdos. Right. And it's like, no, that's not what it's about. Right. Because I know people who, they get in their cosplay, but they know everything about that character, and they can, you can address that person as that character Absolutely. they're playing, Absolutely. and they know the history, right. and you know, they know all of that. They're it's, embracing the culture. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's always, I guess, for, for gaming and anime and comics... 
we've been our own little subculture, so right. we're used to being you know, with each other. Yeah. You know, and it's just really now only recently that it started to become a bit more mainstream, where you know, people start to get it. Yep, it doesn't necessarily have that stigma that it does before. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, when it comes to disabilities, that yours is scoliosis? Yeah, she has neurofibromatosis. She also has been diagnosed bipolar and schizophrenic. Oh, I'm okay. sorry, psych- psychosis. Yes. Yes, okay. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. So. I mean, but does, it, does that come through in your cosplay at all? Do you... Does Not that have any effect? No. Or? Not at all. But I think it, the the community gives you a sense of belonging, mm-hmm. and it allows you to be closer to who you are yeah. and mm-hmm. be incredibly accepting of your and accepted by the community. Right. More embraced. Well, I mean, even, even things like I saw one where someone was in a wheelchair and they had it rigged up like the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, I've I, seen so that. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, you know, or ones where it's rigged up like an AT-AT walker. Yeah, yeah. or a dragon, or something. Yeah, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, people would be so creative with their disabilities yeah. and in cosplay. It's, it's just amazing and amazing. If you had the choice of being <laughs> any character right now. With with the best costume available and and all that, who would it be? I would really have to think about that, but off the fly, I would have to say Azora from Zelda. Oh, my daughter would love you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a huge Zelda person, I'm sorry. I have three kids and all three of them. If it's not Pokemon, it's Zelda. (laughs) Me too, honestly. (laughs) We're actually planning on, well, we've been talking about doing a convention where I go as Ganondorf. My daughter would just be all over you right now. She loves. She's got this thing for the bad guys. Uh, yeah, that's she me. She loves me too. Ganondorf. Me too. Yep. <laughs> Works out bad, well. We, my whole family goes for the bad guys. <laughs> well, except for my mom. Yeah. Okay, so do you make your own then? Or? Yeah, I do make my own. Mm-hmm. I bought one, and then it was really hard to. Uh, like figure out you remember that yeah. that was torture that was difficult and I made my own and I'm trying to get better oh look anything that's going to take time yes mm-hmm. you know talking with the folks who do the uh, the Star Wars yeah, outfits oh out God. there how they make their own that's just I think that's that amazing the, that one the Stormtrooper I think they made like the actual armor plates mm-hmm. with the warble I don't know that's like I'm the only sure. thing I know it seems like there's a hard plastic to it too I, yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's warble so that, I don't know. Yeah, that's very awesome. Involved. I don't know how. Yeah. There's enough videos out there you gotta on how to do it. Start somewhere, yeah. yeah you yeah. gotta start somewhere. You never. Your first one's never gonna be good. Yeah. It's my, my, yeah. my first track, My first one was Nice Cream Guy from Undertale, and it was just like. Oh my god! My <laughs> kids would love you so much. <laughs> they like, love Undertale. Just, it's just like literally a yellow shirt with a red stripe on it, and I had to paint my whole body blue. <laughs> Uh, it was torture. And that's where you were handing out all those nice creams yes. to everybody. Yes. Everybody appreciates it. Yeah, and someone gave me a dollar. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, hold on one second, here. That's cute. That was at Rayacon mm-hmm. in the main cafe. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Just thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Abby was a little bit shy to start with yeah. when she was talking to you. Um, That's okay. But when you started talking about cosplay and things, she really came out of herself. And uh, you know, I think that's partially because cosplay still have a, has a bit of a stigma in people's eyes. You know, oh, costuming, yeah, whatever. No, 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 no. It, it's so much more than that. And the fact that I understand that, and that I'm kind of a wannabe cosplayer as well. It's just a matter of time and materials to make the outfits and so forth. But yeah, that that really helped to open things up because I think she was like, oh, hey, this guy actually does kind of understand me. Mm-hmm. 
And actually, she wasn't the only one to do that either. No, that's uh, true. Because one of the other people that I was able to talk to is Joe Monasteri and Nancy Amaro, who both of them suffer from depression. And they use cosplay to try to explain to people what depression is like. And to those people who think that depression is one of those things where you can just say, oh, just take a pill and get over it. You'll be fine. It doesn't work that way. No. No, it does not work that way at all. Well, Nancy, this is kind of what she does. She she does costuming. You know, some of her works have been seen on Broadway. So she helps to do this, this cosplaying thing. And Joe is a founding member of a group called Youth Power, and he uses his cosplay to bring awareness to various topics, uh, such as depression. So it was the same with them. I was talking with them, and they were a little bit shy in the beginning. And then I mentioned that there's a TED Talk out there by Adam Savage. He explains why cosplay is so important to people. Mm-hmm. And once I told him that I, that I love that video segment, his eyes lit up. And that's when I think he understood, hey, this guy understands me. So... You, you've mentioned Joe and Nancy. Let's have a little listen to what they had to say. Last year was my first year attending Crippling Comic Con. What ended up happening was I had heard for the past few years before, since the first one, I had heard you know rumors of it, mm-hmm. um, but always like right after it happened. And so, I, but I all along I had been doing a panel about cosplay and disabilities at various little small local conventions mm-hmm. and in New York I'm part of a uh, network of youth called Youth Power and it's about youth in cross systems disabilities information on that is youthpowerny.org I'm their current vice president on the their board of directors and I am one of the founding members of Youth Power but Cripping the Comic Con was one of the inspirations for when I was doing the Cosplay Disabilities panel, which I did it at New York Comic Con last year. Accessibility at conventions is something that's so important, and it was something that I um, definitely learned firsthand when doing at New York Comic Con in previous years. I did crew work, and so I was one of the people behind the scenes, going, you know, running back and forth, trying to help people. Mm-hmm. And experiences I've had where an example would be crew members, they don't know proper protocol. And I went to school for human services and social work. I know a little bit of sign language. And an example would be one time as a crew member, somebody got lost. And they were their primary form of communication was sign language. So the crew, the regular crew members didn't know what to do and how to handle the situation. And, you know, they were escalate. It was ended up being escalating the situation. I ended up doing, I ended up using sign language and that ended up helping, you know, to understand what was going on. And yeah, I was able to help them find the person that they were looking for. And you know, that was at New York Comic Con a few years ago. Um, and that was another big, yeah. And you know, moving forward, meeting Nancy. Nancy was uh, Nancy and I formed peer support. You know, um, but I also do a sketchbook, and that sketchbook, which the images from it can found unlockcreativity.org, um, which I just recently launched the site when she was living out in Texas and did West Coast conventions. One of the things she did was carried around a sketchbook and asked artists specifically to draw a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. The, the dinosaurs being, because when artists get asked to do superheroes, it can be very overwhelming to them. And so it was to really to ease the, the artist's anxiety. And I took that a step further after meeting her online, not meeting in person yet. 
a year ago tripping to Comic Con and started one with one with just simple keys. Mm-hmm. And Jill was actually the first artist to to do um, a sketch in the book. Um, and I have the books here with me. And I'm on the second book now. And I just go around asking random people to sketch a key. And the beauty of that is that it goes to show that people don't realize that they themselves are creative a lot of times. So I went along with titling the project Unlock Creativity because we're, by drawing a key, which is so, it's something so simple, it's half a stick figure, you're unlocking your creative potential and realizing that, you know, saying, oh, I can't draw, I can't draw, until then you say, wow, I'm surprised I did that. I wasn't expecting you to be able right. to do that. And that's the beauty of it. Um, but after meeting Nancy, we ended up meeting at Boston Comic Con last year and it in, officially in person. And before that, we were talking online every single day, helping each other through our problems. Right. And after meeting, it just ended up, we just, it ended up becoming, you know, a thing. And we continue to push each other, do better, inspire each other. And that's really the uh, beauty of peer support and, you know, going to conventions, t- you know, and talking about disabilities and incorporating topics like inclusion and accessibility. It's so important. Uh, I used to work with uh, my old high school for their drama club, and there were kids who were just ridiculously shy, didn't really want to deal with anyone, but man, as soon as they hit that stage, all that shyness was shed, and they projected, and they, they performed their heart out. And a lot of people don't realize that you know, cosplay is kind of like that, too. You know, it lets you become someone else. And that can be something that is, is just a big relief to a lot of people. And is, is that what you found as well? Absolutely. Um, what brought me to the uh, to cosplay was the accepting community. And in my case, it, you know, it really embraces my creativity. It challenges me to think and think outside the box. Right. And I'm, I'm someone who's very pro, low-cost cosplay. So, like, say, you know, go into your dollar store and thinking of different things that you can, you know, use to make a costume right. on a simple budget. Nancy and I have this, uh, this little exercise we do where we challenge each other. We're like, okay, let's make a crown. You know, our budget is $10. What would you do? And to make it so I would be in my case I would say oh let's you know go out and get a sheet of foam and you know for a dollar and you know cut it out and then go over with a hair dryer and she's like no I'll go get a piece of felt and dip it in glue and you know same thing two completely different ways to do it and it you know that's one of the beauties of it and the other thing about cosplay that we don't realize it is it is what what we make it. it can be as simple or as complex as we want you know, for those people who say, you know, costumes should be safe for Halloween, well, what about when you go to a sports event? Sure. You know, do you dress up? You know, do you go there and game face paint? Do you wear a, you know, a jersey? You know, do you wear that face paint, a jersey with the face paint and, you know, all that stuff? You know, that's, that right there is you're putting on a costume for your sporting event. It's cosplay, but it's not called that because right. it's mainstream media. You know, that's called True. being a fan, and it's the same thing with any genre. You're a fan, you're going to go all out. Mm-hmm. And the other beautiful thing about cosplay is it teaches us how to do skills that we don't realize. Right. You know? but, yeah, because if you're building them right there, there's an well, and engineering and, and an artistic thing. Exactly, you're, you're learning of. how to use power tools, things like sure. that, and you don't even realize it, you know, just by being creative. Right. I see some people, well, 
Adam Savage from Mythbusters. He's very big in... One of the most amazing stories he has, one of them is that um, he dressed up as No-Face. And yeah, I just saw that Ted. And yeah. one of the things he did, uh, it was a TED Talks he did, and so he dressed up as No-Face and from Spirited Away. And one of the things that he did was he, you know, people couldn't see him, but he did, gave away these coins. A little bit after everyone was like, oh my god, these are coins, because they're so engaged in the community, you know, that they become, we become that reality for mm-hmm. that short be- period of time that, you know, you are that character. And what he didn't realize when he did that was afterwards people were coming back to him with the with those coins trying to give it back to him because if you take a coin from ghost from no face it's bad luck mm-hmm. and that, yeah. you know that's really what is so cool about the cosplay community and the science fiction you know all these different it's science fiction it's horror mm-hmm. it's comic books and it's you know it's tv it's movies it's literature you know even just something as simple as literature i've done costumes based around literature you know and you know it's that melding pot like you know everybody coming together you know for one universal thing that they love and helping each other sharing experiences bringing everybody together if it wasn't for cosplay it wouldn't have brought uh nancy and i together Mm -hmm. you know to uh shared costumes, you know, from the same comic book that was a selective mm-hmm. market, Lock and Key by Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. Yeah. It, you know, 2,000 miles apart, just through Joe Hill's Twitter handle, you know, tweeting out to him a picture of my costume, and she, you know, got it, the two of us together, right. you know, and talking, and then we ended up meeting, and it brings people together, and that's the beauty of it, is comic books do that. Well, what got me here is, like, meeting Joe through peer support and uh, I get involved in a lot of the things that he does uh, youth power advocating for uh, disability rights and so like all of that all just came together mm-hmm. our interests and um, it's, a, yeah. it's a really great experience to be part of but it was something that she wasn't sure if she wanted to go to at first until I explained to her what it was and encouraged right. her in a way I was kind of the same way because the first time I was going to go to PAX it's like alright this is going to be weird I'm not going to know anybody mm-hmm. it's going to be really strange but then you get there and it's like no one cares because we're all there for the same reason. Yeah. We're all there for, yeah. the, for the love of the game in this case. Yeah, packs. And, and that uh, just I makes any of those barriers go away. And all of a sudden everybody's just friendly and they're talking yeah. to you while you're waiting yeah. in line and so forth. And it just ends up being like a big family. Yeah, it does. It really feels like a big family right now. Like everybody. Because it's like so, like, uh, it's such a, a crowd where everybody gets to see each other like, you know, for periods of time. So... You like to say hi to each other, like people be like, "Hey, hi!" Mm-hmm. It's really nice. Yeah, now we got we got family now from Australia and the yeah, UK and yeah, all that. Uh, so right now, I work um, with a milliner in the city, building the hats for the Kentucky Derby. Oh, nice! Yeah, I'm I'm building the hats, and but uh, I mean, I've had a lot of challenges, but I've I've been able to get through a lot of them. Like you know, because as a costume designer and a builder, like I have to stay on top of every clothing item that I'm doing. That's your main work, costume design. Yeah, and I'm a seamstress, so like I get, to, I do a lot of the sewing. And there's times where I cannot get myself to sew because of the environment around me. But that's just, and, he, and like sometimes it's like, it's all in my head, it's all in my head. And it could be, but I can't get out of it. I yeah. can't, can't out of it. And like the more and more I try to think of, to try to get out of a situation, I can't. So I, I constantly have to find different ways. Cause sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Yeah. You've seen yeah. it. You see me struggle not being wanting to sew, and, but I build a lot of, I can build beautiful things like this. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to build an outfit for myself where I get like, um, this is real funny, a bear pattern 
like in the like in the forest mm -hmm. and I want to make a three-piece outfit for that <laughs> I think it'll a bear be in a three-piece suit yeah like a, it could be a, it could be a three-piece suit it could be like a like a like a dress with a coat and a, like like a skirt a top and a coat like a little bolero or something right. with a with that print I think it's so funny well, I've been wanting to do it and I, I can't get myself to do it it's like I said at the panel you can you can be whatever you want you can do whatever you want yeah I have a struggle sometimes in trying to get myself to do it I know I can do it but I don't do it I've improved a lot just just being able to talk to Joe about like helping each other because there's times where he um, can't get through something and we help like I help him out mm -hmm. and when I'm going through something and I, I don't know like if you can't get through an emotion like somebody to help like help you like mm -hmm. it, it can really crush you and so being able to talk to Joe whenever I'm going through something like it will help each other out it's a good thing right. I guess we help each other with peer-to-peer -peer support yeah well that that means a lot because really yeah. I guess the way to look at it is we lose focus yeah because sometimes helps to bring us into focus and like with depression like it can be the same thing over and over and it can annoy somebody like with us we have to like we just help each other we don't even question it like and this is a perfect example how I think relationships should work. There was one time where I accidentally knocked over a statue on the floor and it broke. And he got so mad, he was frustrated about, about the whole situation, but he really wasn't frustrated at me. It was more like, more, just the whole situation that happened. Mm -hmm. But he was able to switch to like, being able to like, say it's, say it's okay, you know, you right. know, it happens. Some people who just won't let go have grudges and he was able to like, be so angry and then switch to like hugging me like mm -hmm. it's gonna be okay it's just it's just a statue right we can right. replace it like that really helped me figure out that no this is this is this is gonna like stuff like this happens if this stuff like this gets like resolved like that it's gonna we're gonna be able to make it through anything yeah. having a good support system yeah really is, is more important than anything else I yeah think. That, I think that was a really good example for yeah for being able to like how to handle emotions the right way or the wrong way. Right. Well, thank you for your time. And uh, hopefully I'll see you again next year. Hopefully yeah. see what goes on with that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and Joe was also on the, the main panel talking about it. And, I mean, when people think cosplay, they think of superheroes and things like that. And Joe's and Nancy's are actually really dark and scary. Well, that's because that's what depression can be. Yeah. Definite kudos to them for, for taking that and bringing out, you know, this this is what depression is like. It's not fun. So the next two that I had a, a chance to talk to, we can actually blame Dan for this one because he's the one who managed to get them uh, brought over here because they're from Australia. And that's Sarah and Jessica Renahan. They're actually rock singers, and they've got a group called Calling Utopia. And the whole reason why they were involved is because Sarah has hydrocephalus, or as they seem to pronounce it in Australia, hydrocephalus. And I think that's—I honestly think that's the only country that pronounced it that way. I think you could be right there, John, actually. Because I, I did a search. I was like, have I been pronouncing it wrong all these years? <laughs> and it looks like Australia is the only one that pronounces it that way, which that's fine. But that's fluid on the brain. So norm we all have fluid on the brain, but normally our bodies will just recycle it, shall we say? Mm -hmm. Hers won't do that. So hers will end up getting cool, you know, end up building pressure up in her skull. So she has to have shunts installed to allow it to drain out. It's a serious condition. I believe Emily's also got this as well. I believe so. Yeah. 
I think they, he reached out to them because of having the same condition and they started a friendship. So then when he got involved with this, Syracuse actually flew them over from Australia just for this. And these two are a lot of fun. Really enjoyed talking to these two. Uh, well, we'll just hear for yourself. I am here with Sarah and Jessica Renahan. Yes. Yep. And you're all the way from Melbourne. Correct. She said it took 27 hours. Yes. What, did you have to like come into LA and then yeah. another? Yeah, so it was Melbourne to LA, LA to Chicago, Chicago to Syracuse. Wow. Yeah. And you get to repeat that. Are you at least going to stay here for a little while longer? <laughs> no, to we're going home for tomorrow. We've got another, We've conference, got another conference to play out next week in Sydney, so. Oh, man. Yeah. That is nuts. Musician lifestyle, you know. That's it's true. the best. You, it's you, the best. You're doing it for your art. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, tell us the story on how you got connected with Dan. And you're basically uh, opposite sides of the world. Yes, so um, I have the same condition that Emily has. I have hydrocephalus. Okay, and what um, is that? It's fluid on the brain. Okay. Yeah, so everybody has cerebral fluid in their brain and it cushions the brain mm-hmm. to protect it um, and give the brain nutrients. Um, in somebody with hydrocephalus, there's a blockage in the ventricles of the brain, so it doesn't actually actually circulate around the body oh. like it should. Um, so we have what you call a shunt, and that basically does that job for us. Mm-hmm. So it's a valve that goes into the brain. There's a catheter that goes into the brain, then a little pump that fills up, and then it releases mm-hmm. when it gets full. And then that goes just releases back into the bloodstream normally in the abdominal cavity of the, the belly kind of thing wow. some go into the heart some can go into the chest I think also yeah so we kind of met through that I was looking at Facebook groups I'd already started my own comic book called The Adventures of Hydro Girl with my brother and Dan kind of caught on to that like he saw it and we, we just started talking he's like oh my daughter's got the same condition um, and he thought it was awesome that we were actually writing about it because apparently in the UK it's just it's not heard of which is the same in Australia it's not right. heard of either right. I mean it's just so rare that the general public they know about yeah, all the big diseases so like one, cancer one and in, heart disease one in a thousand people um, that's in not insignificant it's though. not it's, it's actually quite a large number of people so it's quite surprising that nobody knows about it right. I don't know whether pe- people are just it's uncomfortable to talk about because it is life-threatening right but I don't yeah I don't know why it's not really yeah that known about so we're trying to change that that's why um, we've, we've started hydro girl and I talk a lot about it um, even in our calling utopia shows. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'll be doing tonight. But, yeah, so Dan kind of saw that, and he's like, oh, I'm a comic artist as well. And he started doing the Department of Ability. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, check out what I'm doing. And I was like, this is awesome. And was telling about Emily, and, yeah, we just kind of got talking that way. That's cool. Yeah. That, uh, Magic of the internet. Very, <laughs> very cool. exciting. Especially for something like this, where it's a group activity with a lot of energy yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Something that I think is very important for as many people as possible to try and get involved with so mm-hmm. yeah. I agree. we're very excited to be here <laughs> uh, yeah, I can tell. we don't have things like this in australia really not that yeah. we're aware of there could be but there's not as much promotion put to it yeah. i think because yeah, exactly. in australia 
we're always kind of working hard to make sure everyone feels included. Um, yeah, we were only talking about that last night. Yeah, we, like, we were talking the about the differences and, buses and, and stuff. Simple things like wheelchair access to parks and playgrounds and things like that, we right. kind of take for granted because we have most of that in ours already. We don't have to fight for it, it's just there. Right. But then, you know, there's always room for improvement too. Sure, so, sure. and I think it's, it's important for everyone to kind of stand up and make those changes happen rather than just go, oh, it'll happen yeah. when it happens. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's really funny. Like, the more I think about it, the more accessible I realise Melbourne is. I didn't realise it. I'm like, why is all the seating, like, for cafes and stuff, outside next to the road mm-hmm. instead of being actually at the cafe's door? And somebody's like, that's actually... A, a legal thing it's so that people in wheelchairs or um, scooters mm-hmm. and things can actually pass through easily right I was like wow that is amazing that now, is so see, good that, that's that fantastic yeah it does that makes sense yeah just just things like that that yeah like just that we kind of take it for granted that it that way in Australia yeah so. even schools and stuff now a lot of them have uh, lifts as well as stairs, mm-hmm. right. which is and fantastic, and ramps, in ramps. yeah, so that's always, it. it was something that, I mean, we didn't have that in our primary school, Mm-mm. but no, it's something that's like kind that. of changed everywhere now, so that pretty much all the schools I've been going to have had them now, so it's really good, because it means that everyone can have the same mm-hmm. experience with their school life as well, so it's awesome. Great, so we'll talk about music, what kind of music is it? Pop rock. Pop rock? Yeah, with a slight twist, I think. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, twist. We, we, tend to, we tend to go with how we're feeling at the time. So okay. if we're feeling a little bit down on it, it might be a bit angrier. <laughs> but yeah. then if we're happy, it's quite we're, poppy. We're singer-songwriters foremost. Like, that's what we do. So the genre of music might change depending mm-hmm. on, on how we're feeling. We've tried with our recordings to try and make everything sound consistent. People will all know, always know that it's us because of our harmonies in our music, mm-hmm. um, but the actual music itself might change quite dramatically depending <laughs> on how we were feeling at the time. It's but at the same time, that. like we try our best <laughs> to also make it so that it's stuff that everyone can relate to. Yeah. So just because we're feeling a certain way, depending on what has put us in that mood, hopefully it'll help someone else as and, well. Right. And we because always we like and, to stay positive. Yeah, we, we always don't... try and be positive in our music, even if we are not very happy. Like, even if we're it's, it's in a bad mood at the like time. It's like, well, I'm going to do what I want anyway, and no matter how much you kick me down, I'm just going to keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, no, that's nothing wrong with that at all. What kind of instruments do you play? Uh, I play guitar, and I sing. And I also play guitar and sing. Yeah. That's cool. So you're stri- are you strictly a uh, acoustic, or...? No, we're doing a rock show tonight, mm-hmm. thankfully. We've actually got some students oh, from cool. Syracuse University who are going to be joining us on stage, nice. so we're very excited so for that. Because we've never played full rock in America before. We've played our acoustic sets in America, yeah. but this is our first ever rock show, so we are so excited. We it's are very, very oh, excited cool. to do it. Yeah. I get to see your first then. <laughs> yeah, do. definitely. So that's a big thing for us. Um, but yeah, we do both. So Sarah and I will do our acoustic stuff. Even in Melbourne, we've been playing a lot more acoustic than full rock. We try to try and 
try to do a rock show at least once every three months or so to try and spread it out a bit. Yeah, and that keeps people on their toes too because they're always asking, when's your next rock show, when's your next acoustic show? So it's good. We mix it up. That's cool. Yeah. Like, so for next week's show, we're in Sydney, we're playing acoustic for that conference. Okay. Um, it's a lot of people that have had a lot of brain surgery, so they probably would appreciate the acoustic a lot more than a full rock show. And is that the kind of audience that you go for? Uh, um, you know, people who generally don't have an opportunity to go to those kinds of shows? Or? In Melbourne, we kind of just play, like, anywhere. Yeah. We, we, just, we just like playing. We just like being out there and... You know, the more we play, hopefully the better we'll get. Um, yeah. But career-wise, I think that we probably prefer to be doing conferences like this. Mm-hmm. We also um, like to play more it. to both of us. Right. We also like to play at nursing homes a lot too. Yes, okay. We go to right. love play nursing homes. The, They're great. Especially back home. Every time we go back home, we'll go see our poppy and play him some songs for the rest of the guys that are with him as well and they really love it they appreciate it bring out some old school stuff that's cool <laughs> and we just, define old school well um, like 19, 1927 is probably the yeah. oldest song that we play Tonight You Belong to Me it's, it was yeah written in 1927 uh, we originally started singing by doing choir okay. so most of those songs were older so mm-hmm. that always holds a special place in our hearts anyway doing those older songs that are normally harmony focused um, which is that's harmonies and singing is my life right and Jess doesn't have a choice she just does what she's told <laughs> <laughs> so yeah nice <laughs> so let me guess you're the older one <laughs> how did you guess <laughs> it's really funny because like it's with our music and like with our harmonies and songwriting and stuff that's the only time I'm in charge in the rest of our lives it's always just hey in now charge. hey now I think you're overreacting <laughs> I'm really you're not. making me sound bossy <laughs> I mean, isn't that supposed to be with siblings though someone's usually boss it's really no. funny people yes. are like don't you fight because we live together we work together we play music together. We play music so together. We, we pretty much travel do. everywhere. And they're like, do you fight? We're like, no, not really. Who can be bothered with that? We're always kind of too exhausted to be putting energy into fighting. It's really funny. I'm I angry with you, but I'm too tired to deal with it. Yeah, I think, I think the thing that we sort of struggle with the most is what to decide to have for dinner. <laughs> It'll be like, what do you want? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. Nice. Nice. So this is your second time in the U.S.? Yes. Correct. So it's yeah. the first time you were just tourists? Um, we had planned to come over and just be tourists. Mm-hmm. A couple of days in, we started going stir crazy because we hadn't actually brought any instruments over with us. Ah, okay. And we've, we started getting really grumpy with each other, which is unusual. Like, we don't get mad at each other very often at all so we're like okay we need to fix this <laughs> so luckily we were given a guitar to borrow nice. by some friends that we met over here so we had that we were over here for two months we we're over here for wow. quite a while and that made it all better we were like go play in the parks we did open mics we got offered shows while we were over here we played nice. in Knoxville uh, played in Texas we played a conference while we were over here the first time uh, that was a hydrocephalus conference 
and that fixed everything. We were like, why do we have ourselves? I was like, okay, let's not try and go without music anymore. That just doesn't work. There you go. If uh, we want to hear your music or, or buy it, download it, where can we, you know, what website do you have? So we've got a Facebook page, um, which is just Calling Utopia. So www.facebook.com forward slash Calling Utopia. And we've also got a website as well that you can go to and listen to the music. But the link is in our Facebook description yeah. that's easy to click into. And go okay. that but you, way. I mean, people can purchase and download yeah. your music and all yeah. that? Yeah, definitely. Okay. From those sites. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. I Thanks look so forward much. to the concert. And uh, see you later. Pleasure thank talking to you, John. Thanks. I realize that those two are fully grown adults, but I want to adopt them. <laughs> I do. I really want to adopt those two. They're so much fun. And that's that's the way they are. And getting them up on stage and so forth, those two know how to rock. Because, you know, I was a teenager in the 80s, those, that's my kind of music. You know, the garage bands, the not overly produced kind of rock from the early 80s and so forth. And afterwards, they came up like, so what'd you think? And I just said flat out, uh, you know, I was a teenager in the 80s. That is my kind of music. I loved it. And they were just like, all right. Because everyone who attended the event had a swag bag and it had a load yep. of stuff in there. And the girls actually provided these cards where you can um, go to a website, use the code that's on the card, and actually download It's a, an EP mm-hmm. of theirs. And uh, their stuff is really good. Those two nailed it absolutely nail it well i got an idea why don't we just let the the listeners hear a little bit of one of their tracks and uh they can hear what we're talking about Uh, but this song is as we say by calling utopia and it's called better Steam is coming 
if you can't get enough of that, the entire concert is actually available on the Cripping the Con site. It was streamed live, so I, I actually got to see it myself. <laughs> <laughs> they also included in the swag bag a nice little um, pendant, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Which was shaped like a guitar pick with the, the girls' band's logo on it, and that was a really nice touch as well. And, of course, the other thing that they're associated with, which is the comic book called Hydro Girl, which, of course, a superhero with hydrocephalus. Do you have a copy of that? I do. I thought so. I thought I saw you I, with a copy. When they made it available for purchase, and I had a copy shipped over from Australia. All signed and ready to go. So she helps to write it, and her brother also does He does the artistry for it, I believe. Yes, that's right. He does. Mm-hmm. So another person that I had the opportunity to speak with is uh, Gilles Stromberg, who is an alum of Syracuse University and is one of the illustrators and creators behind Access Avengers, which is kind of their version of what Dan White does. You know, comic book that is based on characters who have disabilities, but they use those disabilities to their advantage. And Gilles was a lot of fun to talk to. And, well, let's just listen to that one. So what brings you here? I was a student here at Syracuse University from 2008-2012. Um, I was an illustration student. Mm-hmm. During that time, I actually met Diane, the coordinator of Gripping the Comic-Con, and she was like, hey, do you want to draw some things for us? And I was like, absolutely. So together, we were talking about um, creating a set of superheroes. Mm-hmm. And through that, the Access Avengers came through. And really what the Access Avengers has been has been a collaboration between folks here at Cripping the Comic-Con and the Disability Cultural Center and providing representation for certain communities. Mm -hmm. So each of the characters we have here has been created collaboratively with someone else. Um, For an example, last year we created Al, who has cerebral palsy, and myself with about two to three other folks sat down and like developed that character about like, what does, you know, having cerebral palsy mean to you? What does that look like? So as the illustrator, and as someone who doesn't have cerebral palsy, I don't want to be sitting here and drawing my idea because right. there's a lot of baggage with that. Right. So I definitely wanted to make sure with each character there was representation that was behind it. Every, everyone has some kind of disability that how do they use it to their advantage? Absolutely. So each of them of course their main goal through the Access Avengers is you know providing access mm-hmm. to folks in the world. Right. right. So I would say their range of abilities and their disabilities have that emotional bridge, Mm -hmm. right, to connect with others and provide and bring that access. I would also say that in some of them, an example that we have is Devin here uh, is um, someone who has autism and it's on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. He's someone who is the primary, you know, home-based guy, right? So he has a lot of technical knowledge. He has a lot of that experience and information. He's very much, uh, if you know Strengths Quest, he's an input guy. He knows a lot of facts, and when they need him, like when they're needed, he has them come out. Okay, right? Right. I know with folks who have autism, they've said that kind of reflects their experience, where you know they hold a lot of knowledge. They're really geeky about one certain thing. Yep. That's coming from someone else, and I'm just being, you know, a siren to that those feelings. My, my son has been <laughs> diagnosed with ADHD, mm-hmm. so you know, it's, and it's not a severe case, but it's just enough that he got marked with it. And yeah, yeah, he can get just super focused on something and that's all he wants to know about and he knows everything about it. Mm-hmm. When you start talking to him about Pokemon, you better have the next few hours clear. <laughs> so, I understand that completely. Absolutely. 
I think definitely it's just an emotional bridge. I think for me, in my own experience in creating them, it's been the emotional bridge to connect them with larger communities. Mm-hmm. right? And each of them not only has a disability, but has other identities that come into play. And the intersectionality of those communities helps bridge the gaps as well. Okay. I know, for example, Alexis here, I'm someone who identifies as transgender. Okay. So with Alexis here, they're genderqueer and they're deaf. Right, okay. So those are two communities that they sit within, and those things play with each other so they can connect to those communities in, very, in a very unique way that perhaps I couldn't or someone else could. So, yeah. So when, when coming up with these characters, mm-hmm. where do you start? I mean, obviously, we don't have any of these conditions. So yeah. where do you come up with these characters? Like mm. other people suggest them? or Absolutely. So usually what I do is, a, you know, someone comes up to me and is like, I got an idea for a character. And I'm like, let's hear it. So really, I sit down. I doodle with them. I take some small notes mm-hmm. about what their disabilities or their abilities mean to them. And then I work with them. Most of the time, I work with them through the process being like, does this make sense? Does this look okay? And they're like, oh, no, actually, the braces don't look like that. Or actually, the wheelchair you're using is not typical for that situation. Recommend another wheelchair. So that's definitely been a situation that I've, you know, been blessed because it's really expanded my knowledge base about what it means to have certain disabilities, right? Also, I love how the one got transported from the 60s with the beehive and the glasses. <laughs> that definitely comes from my Baltimore background, right? Um, oh, so, hairspray? Yeah, hairspray, <laughs> right. Um, but the Hun culture down there is so permeable, right? It's right. like in the air. So I got it. I had to throw a beehive and some cat eye glasses in there somehow. <laughs> so true. I also can't deny the fact that in creating these characters, the common culture of comics came into it as well. Mm-hmm. And there's good things about that, and there's also bad things about that, okay. right? The common culture, you know, some of the good things is that we all have these role models and these qualities as superheroes that we, we look for, mm-hmm. right? And then, of course, that's why we love comics, right? Because there's certain things that we see in them that we sure. see in ourselves and get to be geeky, like we said before, about those certain things. And some of the funny stereotypes, like they're all wearing like latex, you know, body suits and they're yeah. running around. And I also think some other things that, when you look at it, you definitely see it, is that they like, which is positive and a negative, is that a lot of them are very muscular, mm-hmm. right? So that comes with what does it mean to be a superhero? And definitely we've had a lot of discussions about that where superhero culture talks about this ideal body, right? right? And then a lot of times that comes in conflict with disability culture about what is normal, what is the idea body, right. Just, is norm, normal even a thing? So I can't deny the fact that in my illustration practice, our figure drawing sessions were about the ideal body, like a body is seven and a half feet tall. Right. Right? So, seven and a half heads. Sorry, not yeah. feet. Sorry, if someone's seven and a half, like they're playing basketball, good for them. Ah. <laughs> but they're seven and a half heads tall, right. according to their head, right? And big biceps and all that other... Thick, right? right? And they got like eight-pack abs, like, yeah. like beyond the six-pack, right? So, I can't deny that like in drawing this, I think there's an element of that in there. And then I think, for me, and for other folks, it's kind of allowed the conversation about how can we expand the idea of the mm-hmm. superhero hero, not everyone has to have those six-pack abs. I do, especially in creating Al, who has cerebral palsy. The folks who had cerebral palsy I was working with, they're like, I want him to be CP skinny. And I'm like, I didn't say that. And they're like, no, it's yes, I want them to reflect my identity and my narrative. And that just means yeah, they have a different kind of musculature. 
they look a certain way, and this is how I see them, right? Right. So in developing Al, you're not going to see the same musculature you may see in some of the other superheroes, right? And that just reflects the diversity that we have in right. disability culture. So every year I go to this camp called A Camp. It's run by the website Autostraddle. Arsenal.com. And a camp counselor I had at this camp uh, is Gabby Riviera, who is recently the new writer of America Chavez. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we, and also, like, Gabby has been one of the forefronts in developing queer Latinx identities in comics as well. There's good intentions in that there's folks behind the scenes who are like, we need this representation. This is important for our community. But then there's definitely, like, the capitalist neoliberal side that's like, this is going to expand our market. Right. right. I'm the person who always puts the humanity edge on it, being like, diversity is important. This provides representation, and especially the Axis Avengers is one right. of the main reasons we created them, was to provide that representation for folks who didn't see themselves in, in comics culture or had to, like, do some mind work to put themselves in somewhere. Being like, I look at the superhero, and I, you know, I think they're on the autism spectrum, right? But, of course, it's not canon, and it's not talked about, right? right. So I, I wanted to do that with the Axis Avengers. So, it, like, it's complicated because you want to put that human edge on it, but how are you going to get folks to listen? Yeah. And that's always complicated. But Disability Cultural Center, my mind can run free. Yep. I can do what I want. I feel very blessed to be working with Diane this and Syracuse cool. for that. And now with the internet, you, yeah. you can self-publish. Yep. Oh, and one more thing. Yes. If someone comes up and wants to develop a character with me today, that might be the new Axis Avenger. So I'm looking okay. forward to, if someone wants to see some representation, let's make it together. Well, Axis Avengers, how can people actually see this? Is it online? What, Absolutely. What's the website? So the predominant way to get access to the Axis Avengers is actually through the Disability Cultural Services. Okay. So definitely it's housed within the Cultural Center here at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. So so if you visit, you know, Disability Cultural Services through Syracuse University or get in touch with the Cultural Center, that's your main hub for getting their backstories, getting their information. There's also YouTube videos and plenaries that describe their development and describe their character backlines from previous conventions. So okay. check that out. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you much for your time. Now, Jill, as he explained in the piece you just heard went into a lot of detail to find out about different people's disabilities and what mm-hmm. they need to have in the comic books to, to make it as real as possible. So, you know, uh, for different, different disabilities, you have different styles of wheelchair if they're wheelchair users. And obviously, somebody is going to pick up on it if it isn't the right kind of wheelchair for right. that disability. So he's done a lot of research into what needs to be on these pages of these comic books. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely adds a new level of, well, realism. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the best way to put it. That it's, it's trying to be as realistic as possible to what these people have to deal with. Yeah. And like you said, where people with a certain type of disability, like cerebral palsy, for example, mm-hmm. you're not going to have the same physique as Superman or, right. or whatever. So it's going to be as realistic as they can possibly make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're not all, you know, young spry people either. The one character's in her 40s, the one character's in his 50s. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely trying to break the stereotype of superhero comic books, and I think does a really good job of it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to be listening to a, a, a few more messages from well-wishers over the festive period, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk to you a bit more about what was going on during the event. Merry Christmas! 
Christmas to everybody on TGP Nominal from Gareth Jones on Speed. Greetings from Dr. M to all you wonderful, lovely, seasonal listeners at the Garbage Pod, care of Mark Taylor. Wishing you all the best for this seasonal festive time of the year. A happy Christmas, a happy Hanukkah, and anything else you might be celebrating, regardless of creed, religion, race, and belief. We're all one, and we're here to celebrate the good times. So, with best wishes from Dr. M and Kaz, and hoping you have a great rest of year, getting ready for 2018 and another funky year. All the best, over and out, and enjoy the music. Bye now, and don't forget, expect the unexpected. Hi, this is Zach Galligan, and you're listening to the TGP Podcast. Merry Christmas, everybody. Coming to the end of our interviews, when you sent me the audio file for this one, I, I could have listened to this guy all day. Oh, I know. And, and the sad part is, what you got was only a part of it, because I talked with him for probably an hour and a half, and the one thing that throws me off on those Zoom recorders is that you hit the record button, it doesn't start recording. It just preps it for recording. Mm -hmm. So he and I were talking for about a half an hour, and I looked down, and the thing's blinking. I'm like, oh, no. And so I apologized. Do you mind if we just start over again? And he was just like, yeah, no problem. (laughs) So I started recording, and we just started up again like nothing happened. And he's so easy to talk to. We're talking about Dr. Bill Peace. He has a PhD in anthropology from Columbia University, and he is disabled. He's wheelchair-bound. Well, he knows both sides of the story because he was able to walk until about nine years old when he developed a neurological disorder, and by the time he was 18, he ended up in a wheelchair. And he's a big advocate for accessibility. That's what he goes around and talks about. It's just amazing to hear him talk. I really am sad that we don't have as much in here as we could have, but this would make for a really long podcast. He's got a lot to say, and he's so smooth in his in his delivery and everything. He's so easy to listen to. I'm here with Bill Peace, and uh, Bill, what brings you here? Uh, I'm on faculty here at Syracuse, and I am here to support my colleague, Diane Weiner at the Comic-Con. This is the fifth year that they're having it. And it's a really unique, interesting event. I think it's a one of a kind. I'm unaware of any other Cripping the Con style event. Right. I work on the other side of campus, and let me tell you, it's a real load of fun to just take my wheelchair and 
come down this direction because I'm going at warp speed the whole time. In the Detroit airport, I can go from gate 1 to gate 99 in less than four minutes. Wow. It's a mile long. But no one's thinking that way. They're saying, oh, God, it's a wheelchair. Isn't that sad or isn't that bad? Right. No, it's just different. It's different, It doesn't mean uh, I... I've lost my civil rights or that I can't think it just means that I'm paralyzed right period right. you know and I'm you know stronger in some ways you know but obviously you know variation is a good thing for the species I am living variation when disability enters your life you get really imaginative mm-hmm. you get very creative you figure out how to do things in a way that you would never thought of mm-hmm. otherwise we should be celebrating that, not stigmatizing it. And right. this event takes that to a whole different scale where we have access Avengers, you, mm-hmm. you know. And there's really something to be said for this, especially for little kids. Because, yeah, sure, you know, with Emily doing what she does, you know, with, with Dan. Yeah, people just don't know. The ignorance associated with disability is mind-boggling. I gave a talk recently, and just in passing, somebody said, where did you go to school? And I said, well, I wasn't allowed to go to school. I did not have access to public education until 1975 when I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. So my parents had to send me to private schools, or believe it or not, back then they had hospital schools. So... Yeah, you would, kids were in the hospital that long. Wow. They would have schools in the hospital. It's why I became a scholar. I went to the, you know these hospital schools, and my homework would come from the school on a monthly basis, and it would take me two days to do all the homework, <laughs> and I did it faithfully. Right. And then, because I'm the youngest of six, I then followed all my siblings' college curriculums. Oh, okay. So I was reading at a collegiate level by the time I was 10 years old. We are on the cutting edge of technology. You know, we take wheelchairs now. You know, you see power chairs here, and, I mean, these are phenomenally complex machines. Oh, yeah. Yet most of them are designed not to go out in the rain. So there you've got this great technology, and so many times I see this quad is out in the rain. And he's got, like, a chintzy plastic bag over the controller. Come on, guys. Right. You know? Right. So it's, it's those sort of jarring cultural disconnects. You've got a, a brilliant designer coming up with a great design. The end user is happy, but there's just a real profound flaw, like, it's just not waterproof. Right. You know, it should be out of the box. Yes, you're going to go out. The down part of this is that most people with a disability lack an adequate education. As far as I know, I'm probably the first paralyzed person to come out of the anthropology department at Columbia with a PhD. And, you know, that was 1992. Right. Yeah, now we've got the internet. Hello. Uh, right. Really so, no you know, excuse. where are we? Right. You know, why are we absent? Why, when you get on an airplane, you don't see a lot of paralyzed people getting on and off? Or people with a disability? Or why do we not see more service dogs? Right. Why do we not see more blind people? If we were out and about, the stigma and the prejudice that we encounter would really be diminished significantly. I don't know a single wheelchair user that uses the wheelchair of his dreams. (laughs) Meaning the best possible wheelchair for that individual. Right. My wheelchair frame is 
27 years old. I get it refurbished. It's going to hold me for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. It weighs 33 pounds. Wow. I could get a chair made out of entirely carbon fiber mm-hmm. in the same configuration, and it would cost the same amount as a Fiat. So I'm faced with a decision, my son's tuition payment or a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Obviously, my son comes out right. every single time, and that's where people really don't understand disability, where you know financial matters mm-hmm. um, we're really on the we have a great opportunity here through pop culture and through social advances to really make people with a disability equal for the first time and I'm very optimistic in that regard because I'm getting old and I see young people that have grown up with the ADA's law mm-hmm. And I will never forget, I was skiing once a few years ago, and there was a teenage girl on the ski team, and she was paralyzed and was using a sit ski, okay. just like I did. And it was entirely normal to have somebody have a sit ski right. on the ski team. And at lunchtime, she kind of looked at me and had this kind of odd look. She came over to me and, What kind of wheelchair is that? <laughs> Kind of with disdain. Right. And I said, well, my wheelchair friend is probably older than you are. <laughs> and I'll never forget what she said was, oh, you old-time crips are so difficult. What? <laughs> and it made my heart sore. She didn't know. Right. She didn't have any barriers to education, no barriers to health right. care. She was just mainstream from the start. Right. And, wow. You know, that made me proud to have been part of the vibrant disability rights movement in the 70s and 80s before the law. All the laws really changed on our side. I like to go to academic conferences, and you get a giant discount on the room. So I was in San Diego two years ago at a bioethics conference, and the room was $150. It should have been well into the four or $500 range because it was a very fancy hotel, but you get that corporate rate. They didn't book any handicapped rooms. So my choice was to spend $500 or not. And this created you know, a bureaucratic nightmare that took three days, dozens of emails. You know, Those are three days of work I lost just because nobody thought. Right. And I'm sorry, that's not acceptable anymore. Right. You know, the the laws are on our side, and you know, that sort of discrimination, that sort of ignorance can't be tolerated. Right. Um, hence the bad cripple. Yes, yes, um, your, your blog. I went to a, another conference at a local college here, on healthcare and disability, and it wasn't accessible. And I got pissed. And I wrote a, a post about it, and the Inside Education, the Chronicle of Higher Ed, all picked up on it. And I, they were apologetic, but it was inexcusable. Right. But I went after their funder, and it was a Carnegie Foundation. Oh, okay. So I found out who backed the conference... 
and I called them up and told them what happened. And now as part of the paperwork for getting a grant for holding a conference is you have to demonstrate it's entirely wheelchair accessible. Nice. All the reading materials are accessible, those that are blind. Mm-hmm. That cart is available for the deaf upon request. That's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to just be grateful and, you know. Right. I'm, no, I'm not grateful. I'm, I, want, I expect to be treated like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in going after the, the funder, you know, they were flabbergasted. You know, so it's... I just... I had a really great mom and dad. And a life lesson was shortly after I was paralyzed... I there was no handicapped parking so I came home from school woe was me and my mother she said tomorrow park in the principal's spot if he's got a problem with that he can call me sure enough I do that right the first period English or whatever principal comes in who is William Peace he's in my parking spot and I thought I was going to the gallows you know right and about halfway there I thought no there is no handicap parking, and that's not right. Mm-hmm. My mother and father were at the office. My mother had a withering look. <laughs> I feel bad for the poor principal. <laughs> but she taught me a lesson, because the very next day there was handicap parking right next to the principal's. Right. She taught me i got to stand up my own, on my own, that right. no one's going to give anything to me that if I'm going to have and enjoy my civil rights right if I'm going to have a chance at having a full and rich life I need to assert myself that was a lifelong lesson for which I will forever be grateful right which is kind of the stigma that a lot of people have which is oh well they're asking for special rights you're not asking for special rights you're just asking for the same rights as everybody else yes I want to I want to get on a bus I want to get on a train on a plane I want an education I'd like to go visit some friends that live in an accessible home. Right. None of my friends live in an accessible home. I don't know what the percentage is, but nothing is in Syracuse is accessible. Mm-hmm. And I get it. It's a gritty and it's an old city. But Berkeley's pretty damn old. Right. And I joke with people I call it cryptopia. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's where disability rights started. And it's way accessible now. You know, that's right. why cryptopia. Disability is really defined by culture. The way I am treated in England is radically different than the way I'm treated here or in Better, France. Better or worse? Or? Different. Just different? Okay. Different. Like, in the early 90s, I spent time in Eastern Europe. And their idea of access was carrying you in. And it very quickly dawned on me, it's not that they were against the ramp. They just thought it was more efficient. Right, yeah. And okay. no one cared. So in Eastern Europe 20 years ago, I let myself be carried in all sorts of buildings. Because the cultural response was, we want you. Mm-hmm. If somebody offers to carry me in this nation, it's never going to happen. Um, but that's a cultural divide that, that's really profound. There was a visiting Japanese scholar here at Syracuse and the entire Tokyo subway system is 100% accessible because they have vaniculars. Yeah, I, I didn't know what a vanicular was. Like, it's a 
sideways elevator. So like when you go down the escalator, they have a little wheelchair logo. Mm-hmm. So if you press that, and the steps flatten out to be a platform. Oh, wow. And then you get on, and you just go down. So think of somebody traveling with, cool. with luggage. Right. Who did shopping, a mom with a stroller, an older person with a, a walker. It's just part of the system. Huh. No one looks twice. That's just what they were they're used That's to. That's just what, you know. Why don't we have vernacular in every damn subway stop? I gave a talk once at Cornell Medical School in front of the faculty. So I went to Power Brokers mm-hmm. Central. Right. I, I mean, it was like a mahogany table where the board of directors was being. I, probably one of the only times in my life I was really nervous speaking. And then we wanted to go out to dinner and I needed to use the bathroom. After 5 o'clock, all accessible bathrooms are locked. What? For security reasons. Homeless like to sleep in them. Oh, okay. And the accessible entrance was locked. It took us an hour and a half to get out of the building. Oh, my God. So there I am being feted, you know, the, the keynote speaker. It didn't matter what I said. They will forever remember we couldn't get out of the building. And these things happen all the time. They have a new FDR memorial in Roosevelt Island in New York City. It's not accessible. And it's brand new. Brand new. And, you know, we've made great progress, but we've got a long, long way to go. Right. Well, what, like, for example, just, just people like me or, you know, people listening to the podcast, what can we do? Don't look at the deficit. Look at the social response to it. And be an ally. So when the lift on a bus is broken, get on the bus driver's case. Why is this bus in service? Because the law states that a, a bus without a wheelchair, operational wheelchair lift can't operate. There's been plenty of times where I've not been able to get on the bus because the bus is in service, you know, and the lift is non-operational. We need allies, so we need support. Complain if you go to a baseball stadium. Mm-hmm. And you see no wheelchair seating. Or you see really crappy wheelchair seating. Right. If you do business at a restaurant, and you know the bar tables are really popular now? Right. Say something. Does that, yeah. Does it do any good? Doesn't it, yeah. When you go to a hotel, the fashion in the United States now is having these beds that are like on stilts. A five-foot-tall woman's got a, a stepladder they get on. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want the high bed. You know, all these little things, and they call it like death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, at some point you say enough is enough. And if we had the support of typical people, it would make all the difference in the world. I mean, I've been abused by airline personnel for my entire life. Not once has a fellow passenger ever come for support. Not, no one. And I get it in the post-9-11 era, like, it really, it's, flying is not fun. Right. But when you see somebody still stuck on a plane an hour later, I mean, the cleaning, you know how many times I've seen a plane cleaned, loaded up, and, you know, I delay the next flight because they're still looking for my wheelchair. Or they're waiting, you know, and... I, every paralyzed guy that I know at some point has crawled off a plane because we're just tired of waiting. Passengers don't care. You know, oh, don't worry. 
even the crews, some of the crews can be pretty nasty too. So part of it, it's, you know, we need more support. But there's also a failure within disability rights to connect with other traditional minority groups. Mm-hmm. And that's our failure. Um, we haven't made those inroads. Um, and that's partly because, you know, you, black people are less likely to have a disability or acquire a disability later in life. Right. And we have something called the stroke belt in the South. You know, obese, black right, people, right, 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 right. poor, you know, unhealthy diet, they have strokes. We know it exists. We know the right. stroke belt's there. I don't see anybody in disability rights advocating for, you know, better food, better pay right. for poor blacks in North Carolina and South Carolina in the deep South. So, you know, that advocacy goes both ways. But really just when you see a lack of access, when you see an inequality, when you see step go a step into a building and there's a ramp on the side, you know, well why why don't you have a ramp? You know, don't frame it like in a disability rights perspective. What about a mom and a baby carriage? Mm-hmm. You know, sure. It's just not wheelchairs. It's right. everybody. Um, and the fact is, it's in your best interest because the vast majority of people are going to acquire a disability before the end of their life. And the more accessible it is, the better for all. It's a matter of social acceptance. Like We have curb cuts everywhere in the United States. I remember when curb cuts came into business... The only reason we have curb cups today is because of the fashion industry off 7th Avenue. They were powerful allies to disabled people because they had to take the dresses and these huge racks. And they wanted right. curb cuts. And then the women with baby carriages, like, wow, this is a lot easier on my back when I've got a you know, 20-pound toddler in a stroller that weighs 5 pounds. You know, this is benefiting skateboarders. Kids get clapped. I mean, it's, it's an endless list. Um, and that's what people don't see. It's not just about one person. It's not a one-off. We're talking about an oppressed minority group. Right. And the odds are, you can join that group against your will at any moment in your life. So, you know, it, like I said, it is in your best interest. Yeah, well, I busted my foot a few years ago. I was on crutches for about three and a half months. Stairs, I got. I worked on yeah. it, but stairs were not fun. No, it's you got to put both crutches on one side. You got to use the handrail. Yep. What if there isn't a handrail? What if it's wet? There's a lot yep. going on to that. Yeah. So I understand that. Ah, yeah, completely. Well, thank you very okay. much for your time. Very I appreciate happy. it. Yeah. So he did make a point there at the end, telling us what we can do, mm-hmm. everyone can do, to make awareness to the the authorities and anyone that needs to be accountable for buildings and venues across the world not just in in the states everywhere i mean we're we are not as good as we could be in this country Uh, some of the bigger cities are especially london ever since obviously london got the uh, paralympic bid Mm -hmm. um, things are a bit better but not as well as they as they could be no, no. And, and like I said, Sarah and, and Jessica and I were talking about this as well, about how something as simple as the corner curbs on the streets, mm-hmm. making them wheelchair accessible, that could make a world of difference to someone. And for those of us who can walk, it's it's a non-issue. Yeah. You know, so why not do that stuff? 
And the other thing is that I'm always finding, and it's not just for, for disabled people, it's mothers with uh, baby carriages and things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. On absolutely. pavements, when you've got some idiot that's parked on the grass verge and halfway across a pavement sidewalk, how are you supposed to get your wheelchair or buggy or whatever down that gap? You, it's just mm-hmm. physically impossible. So you end up actually going in the road dangerous if you're in a wheelchair oh yeah absolutely dangerous so you know, just all these things and okay maybe it will make some things cost more well so what you know that there is always going to be some kind of karma that someone complains about the cost of doing something for the disabled or whatever and you never know when that's going to happen to them mm-hmm. i'm sure bill peace didn't plan to, to lose the ability to walk when he was a kid but it happens i've i've heard some really dumb interviews two Paralympians over the years and one of them in the 92 Paralympics in uh, in Barcelona he was one of our highest uh, medal winners that that year and he was interviewed by someone saying something along the lines of what's it like to compete in a wheelchair and firstly they didn't do any research in the guy they were talking to because firstly he wasn't wheelchair bound Secondly, he was blind. That was his disability. Oh, jeez. And he basically came back with, well, I'm in a swimming event. So, yeah, swimming with a wheelchair, um, <laughs> pretty dangerous. <laughs> wow. What do you say to that? You it's... can't. That's just a, a stupidity in itself. <laughs> yeah. So as great as Bill was to talk to, he's also got a great blog out there. Uh, and he calls it Bad Cripple. He's actually out there, he's advocating it, and he's showing where there are injustices to people with disabilities. And uh, so, yeah, so he's a bad cripple because he won't stay silent. And that's simply badcripple.blogspot.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you know it, you love it, you can't live without it. This is TGP Normal. Nominal! Damn! I couldn't interview everybody, and... The one person, I didn't even realize he was actually doing something there until we, we were talking for like 30 minutes. And after we were done talking, that's when I realized, ah, oh, he's, t- he's doing one of the workshops. Duh. So, I mean, the one guy's name is, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, correctly David Slage or Schleich. Uh, sorry, David, if you're listening, I'm butchering your name. I do apologize. But his was really cool because he's a cancer survivor. And what he does is he's a light painter. You know, the kind where you turn the lights off, you hold the camera shutter open, and you draw with a flashlight or something like that. Yeah, I love that. Oh, that is so cool. Uh, But what he does, I don't know what they're like over in the UK, but over here, regular prescription pill bottles are like this kind of a reddish-orange, semi-transparent. I I guess you have the same thing over there. Mm -hmm. He uses those as his light source for all of his photography work. And he's got hundreds of these little pill bottles because of fighting his cancer. So he uses those and lights those up as part of his light work. I think there was an example in the swag bag. I think it was a little postcard. Yeah. With his work in there. Mm-hmm. So what what I think I'll do is I'll um, I'll scan that and uh, put it in the show notes so people can have a look at that. It's amazing to look at just from an artistic standpoint, but then when you realize what he's using to create that art, it really makes you think. It's amazing what you can do with something simple but very iconic because 
those bottles, as you, as you've just found out, are the same. I would imagine across the globe. Yeah, probably. So it is an iconic image, and what it brings home to you—the actual reason why the art has been done in that way. Yeah, and and the one card where he he spells out where there's life, there's hope. There's got to be over a hundred bottles there, and he had to take those for his cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does make you think. I gotta admit, going there was a little bit of an eye opener. Mm-hmm. Just because, as someone who doesn't have any of those conditions, I just don't think about it. Meeting Sarah and Jessica, and, and oh yeah, hydrocephalus. I guess having water on your brain, yeah, that's a problem. And depression and all of that. Just because you're not in a wheelchair or you're not using some kind of device doesn't mean you're not handicapped. Disability doesn't necessarily mean visible. And you, you get these people over here i don't know if you have the same thing in the states uh, we call them blue badges which is something you put in your car so that people can see that you're disabled so you can have yeah yeah we've, we've got them here parking spaces and things and the amount of people that watch you get out of your car if you've got a blue badge and just look you up and down and go you're not disabled well we've got plenty of stories of that over here too yeah it's ridiculous if just going to that can open your eyes on something like this that's saying something that's another reason why I wanted you to attend the event because obviously it's difficult for you to get to fill the force day over here mm-hmm. and as you know I've become pretty much an ambassador for that now right and I wanted you to experience something similar so that you can get a feel of why I feel so strongly about disability and diversity and inclusion and everything that goes along with it. And I think from going to CryptCon, you you have achieved that. I would say so. I don't try to be one of those judgmental fools out there anyway, you know. Oh, you, you shouldn't have that handicap badge. You can walk. I try not to be one of those. And I don't think I ever really was... But to go to something like this, you really do realize that there are other conditions out there that really would make life difficult, wouldn't it? I knew what hydrocephalus was, but I just didn't really think about it. You know, and you hear about people dealing with cancer and so forth, but then you have something like David's photography, and that sends it home. It certainly does. It hits me emotionally, and not in a bad way. I mean, I know some people, when they see disabled people on TV or whatever, and they feel sorry for them. The emotion that I feel is not feeling sorry for them in the slightest. We had a campaign here for Channel 4's coverage of the Paralympics, and their campaign slogan was, Meet the Superhumans. I see them with pride, and I am very proud to get involved with these events and this is the reason why we had to bring this to you listeners because it is such an important thing that everyone should know about hopefully by bringing this stuff to you it does just that there were other things that were going on there that don't translate well to interviews and so forth like you and i we're we're outgoing we can talk to people you know we can go to our cons and and whether it's gaming or comics or whatever and just hang out with people and chat with total strangers. That's completely natural to us. Yeah. But when we were there, we wore badges of red, yellow, or green. And if it was green, fine, you can approach us, not a problem. If it's yellow, you know, please don't approach. You know, I might come to you, but please don't really come to me. And then red is just like, no, do not approach me. Unless I, I already know you. Do not come yeah. anywhere near me. Yeah. Wow. That one threw me for a loop. 
just because that's not me. And to, to think that, yeah, there are people out there where they don't even want you to come close to them. Mm-hmm. And how, uh, no pun intended, paralyzing that must be to end up having to go out in public and you just don't want to be there. Yeah. Or that sort of thing. That's also a shocker. I've met a young guy who's on the autistic spectrum and he has problems with social situations. Mm-hmm. And in his everyday world, he, he won't talk to you. Right. But when he's at the convention and he's dressed up as Captain America, this confidence comes from somewhere. We've seen him three years in a row and his confidence has grown. The Mm -hmm. first year, he was very shy at first. He put the mask on and everything and he was fine. Second Mm -hmm. year, he was standing tall, shoulders straight. You know, confidence was there. You could see it. He didn't have the mask on, but he still had that confidence that he had when the year before he had his mask on. This Mm -hmm. year, he didn't have the costume on. Nice. And the confidence was there. And that felt so great to see him. It really did. When I used to work with my old high school uh, and their drama club, there was a kid who was unbelievably shy. And he really didn't talk to a lot of people. He kind of stayed on his own, stayed quiet. But as soon as he went out on that stage, it was just boom, complete opposite. And he's singing at the top of his voice and he's projecting and he's confident that's an amazing thing to look at and i remember talking to his mom about that and she said that she questioned him he's like why do you do that and he said well when i'm on stage i'm i'm someone totally different mm-hmm. Head productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural hertfordshire we specialize in creating content for all your podcasting needs whether it be field recordings fox pops or capturing the atmosphere during social events editing is a very time-consuming job so spanhead productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound and we will do the rest we can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too visit us now spanheadproductions.weebly.com that's spanheadproductions.weebly.com I think we'd better start wrapping things up. I think so. I'd like to thank Diane Wiener for allowing us to be involved with this event and for allowing us to be, I kind of want to say, part of her life because it's almost like we've known her for years. <laughs> the way she is, that that has that definitely come across. Obviously, Dan White for yep. getting us in touch with Diane and everything to do with Cryptcon. One thing I also wanted to point out is that everything that has been mentioned on the the show will be in the show notes and uh, there will be a transcript of everything that's been said so that our friends out there who are not able to um, hear the podcast can actually read the podcast. And if you go to crippingthecon.com, everything that we talked about, the concert, the panels and so forth, they're all available online for you to watch. So they'll also have the captions for that as well out there. I'd like to thank everybody that's been involved in TGP Nominal throughout the year. It wouldn't be possible without each of you and the new team members that we got on board um, with uh, with Ross Hockham and the UK Astronomy team and uh, Liz Springs. She's been amazing this year. And, and obviously, John, it, it isn't possible without your good self. Thank you. I don't know why you put up with me, but uh, you know, these things happen. You're crazy. <laughs> 
That's all there is to it. So that leaves me with uh, one thing to say to each and every one of you. Happy holidays, basically. Whatever faith you are, whatever you're celebrating at this time of year, just have a really good time with your families, and um, we'll see you in the new year. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com. Because... Your input is our output. Or click on the social media icons on the top left of the page at tgpnominal.weebly.com. Toodles! If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. Don't forget to rate and review us. You can find links on all our podcast pages. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. This is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event. Hey, Santa, what's shaking, man?